0: Welcome to Farm Focus, a podcast by the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. I'm William Whistler. This week on the podcast, I spoke with former dairy farmer turned musician Jeff Coral about his time in Nashville and his time as a dairy farmer before trying to transition into a musical career. Listen to Jeff explain about his album Farm Animal and where his career is going from there. I guess to, you know, to get started, if you could just kind of explain uh, your history and you said organic dairy Mm -hmm. and you know what you grew up with on your farm and I know obviously selling your cows and and you know that experience really transitioned into your music career but if you want to start out by just talking about your dairy background and then how that maybe led you to uh, music
1: okay sure Um, our family has always for a long time been involved with dairy farming so right here on this farm and in this house, Uh, my great-grandparents who got married in 1901, they bottled milk here um, until they retired in 1956. And then my grandparents um, and my dad, who was just graduating from high school in 1960, they put in a bulk tank and they went to a larger herd, you know, did what pretty much everybody was doing then. So I grew up we always had about 30 cows. I grew up with a little you know 30 cow dairy and then um, when I was in high school um, grandparents and dad made the decision to switch over to beef cows and so uh, they had beef and we just crop farmed for most of my high school and stuff and then my joke is uh, when I graduated college I um, had always been writing songs and uh when i and playing in little bands and stuff and when i graduated i said you know i really want to think i want to go to nashville and and try this thing for real and my parents instead of being reluctant to that said yeah great go you have a much better chance of making a living as a songwriter than you do as a farmer (laughs) so at any rate um i spent all told about uh 10 years in Nashville pursuing a career as a professional songwriter. And then my dad was always putting the bug in my ear for me to come back and, um, and a dairy farm. And so um, in 2007, I, and I agreed that I, I was burned out on Nashville and I would, I agreed that, um, and Nashville had kind of moved away from the kind of music that, you know, I like, I like traditional country and, outlaw country and it had really gone more towards the pop side and and i always say i couldn't write a country pop song if you put a gun to my head and tried to force me so um, at any rate i was ready to come home and and i told my dad i'd come home and farm under one condition and that would be that we transitioned the farm to organic and tried it as organic so over the course of 2007 I guess 2006, 2007, we transitioned the farm and um, bought 30 Holstein heifers and we shipped our first uh, shipment of organic milk in May of 2008. And we kept going with that um, clear up until um, my dad passed away in 2018. And then um, as I told you when you came uh, as from the condition of the house, you can tell that I'm a bachelor. <laughs> so, um, you know, I didn't have any kids, any other family. So with dad gone, um, it was in 2019 or the end of 2018, after my, after my dad died, that we sold the uh, dairy herd. And um, I thought I was done with the cow milking disease, but it turned out it was only in remission and it came back. So I had always wanted to try to, um, I always wanted to do what my great-grandparents did, which was bottle milk. And um, so in 19, I started to investigate, you know, how to do it and whatnot. And until it was all said and done, uh, we got the license to be a, you know, full-fledged uh, milk processing plant here, which is what you have to do. You have to, you know, if you can sell raw milk under a permit, but if, you know, to process and pasteurize and everything, you basically get the same license as a, you know, Gallagher's. I mean, you're essentially a small Gallagher's. But anyway, uh, we did that, and we started bottling milk in the fall of 20. And of course, COVID hit, and that kind of threw things out of whack. Um, And we, I started with only four cows, and to do that, I wanted to do exactly what my great-grandparents did which they had always had Guernseys. Me and dad and Pap always had Holsteins but anyway um, so I started with four Guernseys and pretty soon right out of the gate we were selling all the milk that the four Guernseys could make so then I went to eight Guernseys and we were selling all the milk that eight Guernseys could make and then I went to twelve Guernseys and we never did sell all the milk from 12. and it, I, whereas I thought we could just keep growing and growing and growing, I started it you know very part-time and wanted to grow it into full-time. Um, it just kind of maxed out. Our, our area here is very rural, and where, where others have an advantage over us, that kind of business works best either as a sidelight. Or if you're close enough to a city or a college town or something where um, you have kind of more affluent customers and whatnot. So we um, we were actually in 14 different stores and we sold milk here at the farm on our on-farm store. But we just couldn't sell any more milk. And um, uh, going into 20... At the end of 21 and going into 22 when all the inflation hit, you know, I was willing to keep going and, and try to keep it growing. And we just had wonderful customers. I mean, people in our area here, people had not seen cream top milk in glass bottles, you know, for 30 or 40 years. So the the, the customers we did have, they were, all, they were like fans. I mean, they were like, you know, they loved our milk. Plus the Guernseys make the A2, A2 milk. So we just had testimonial after testimonial of people who thought they were lactose intolerant and they couldn't drink milk. Turned out they could drink our milk. So um, we just kind of maxed out at the point where it wasn't really enough to be a full-time income, but it was way more than full-time work. You know, I, I thought having come from milking a 50-cow herd and doing most of the milking myself, that milking 12 cows and a little bit of processing and a little bit of bottling and a little bit of delivering, well, I thought that would be a cakewalk, but it turned out (laughs) to be more hours than taking care of the big herd. Um, Because with the big herd, you know, you milk in the morning, you have pretty much all day, and then you milk in the evening when you're processing, delivering, selling to customers here on the farm, yeah, so at any rate, um, it was just, it was push, you know, it was it was time to uh, figure out what to do. And then the inflation hit and it just ate up every little bit of profit that we had. So over that winter um, of 21 going into 22, you know, the writing was on the wall and I just didn't want to admit it and I didn't want to do it. And finally, um, I made the decision that I was gonna to have to sell the cows. Um, and I have to say, that was the most difficult thing I ever had done in my life. I mean, you know, we've sold cows, we've, my dad and I exited the business, and well, after my dad died, I exited the business, and it was hard and everything, but whatever reason, you know, it was just a 12-cow herd, uh, the milk was going right from our pipeline, right into the milk house, right into the processing room. And then the customers, were, I, it was just a whole big thing that just meant a lot more to me, um, you know, than just saying, oh, I'm going to sell the cows. And so when, when the time came to sell the cows, uh, this is how I describe it. The day that the truck came and I helped load the cows first of all, I felt like something was, was being ripped out of me. I mean, literally it just, I had no idea that an emotional, you know, an emotional situation could cause such physical pain. And I actually told my mother, um, a couple of times, I said, I I think I'm having a heart attack because I had so much pressure in my chest. You know, it was just, it was nothing I had ever experienced before. And you know a lot of tears so very very difficult
0: um from the the standpoint of that too i know that led to your uh empty barn song that okay. kind of kicked things off for you as a solo artist yeah. yeah uh so if you could maybe touch on that a little bit and how that came about
1: yeah sure so after i sold the cows um I had a pretty loyal Facebook following that followed the farm. You know, we had a farm Facebook page. And um, I made a post about, you know, we were, we were shutting down and we were selling the cows. And most of my posts might would get, you know, three or 4,000 views, whatever. Um, that post got over 20,000 views but people were writing in and saying you know when one door closes another one opens Uh, God has a plan for you Um, and and honestly when I read those comments it just frustrated me because my mindset was what could the plan be my plan was to be a small dairy farmer and process my milk you know At that point in time, although I had done music previously and had actually done music professionally way, way long ago, at that point in time, I hadn't written a song probably in maybe 10 years. Um, So the last thing in my mind was that I was going to do anything with music. And nobody nobody of my farm followers, other than my close friends and family, even knew that I played music. Because I felt like um nobody would want to buy milk from some hippie songwriter, you know? <laughs> so, so I never told anybody anything about my music and um after I sold the cows, I was talking to a f- songwriter friend of mine in Nashville and just telling him about you know how heartbroken I was and stuff and and this is fun this guy is is a bona fide um, rock star and and he's got hair, you know, halfway down his back and, and we're talking on the phone and he says, Jeff, I don't know anything about farming. I don't know anything about cows, but, you know, I hear the heartache in your voice. And he said, "I, I can't imagine, um, how lonely and empty your barn feels without the cows in it. And in the next breath, he said, dude, you need to write a song called Empty Barn. And there is a, and that that hit me like a lightning bolt. I thought, man, that's an incredible title. It's a credible idea. And there's kind of this unwritten rule among Nashville songwriters that if somebody throws out a great title, um, you ask them permission to use it, or you say, hey, can I write, you know, let's write this song together. And so when my friend said that, I said, wow, you know, that's great, can I have it? And uh, he said, yeah, you can have it under one condition, and that is you write a kick-ass song. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I thought we got off the phone, and I thought about that song title all day, and I I really wanted to start writing it, and I thought, no, I'm going to let it percolate a little bit. And when I went to bed that night, um, as I started to fade off in that kind of twilight zone, um, I, the first words to the first verse just came to me in my head. And I got up and wrote them down. Well, I always keep a pad next to my bed, so I got up and scribbled them down. Started to fall asleep again. Another line came to me, so I got up and scribbled it down. Sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up with the melody in my head and I got on my smartphone because I, I have vast experience with getting up in the morning and forgetting what you thought about it. <laughs> So I recorded that melody into the smartphone and then finally did fall asleep and when I got up in the morning, um, I thought, did I imagine that? And then I, I saw the notes that I had written down and then I thought, uh, I think I recorded something and I found it on the phone and I I skipped my whole normal morning routine. I didn't make coffee. I didn't have breakfast or anything. I just sat down and started writing. And um, the song Empty Barn just absolutely just poured out of me. I think I wrote it in probably less than two hours. And um, there's another old saying in Nashville, which is, The best songs always come fast and furious, you know, and you might know as a writer, if you labor and labor and labor over everything or over something, it it almost always sounds like that, that it's been labored over. And I like to say this, that especially given the reaction I got to it, um, I think I didn't so much write Empty Barn as... You know, I channeled it from the ether because dairy farmers have been suffering, you know, the last a good while. But let's say the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, they've you know, the statistics are horrible as to, um, you know, how many farms, especially small dairy farms are going out of business. So I, I just picture it like this. All that pain and anguish, you know, went out of people. And I was just kind of the conduit to uh, receive it and have it come through the guitar and and put it into a song. Um, So, you know, that's how it came about. And um, as far as that idea of those thoughts and that pain and anguish being out there, once I put it out, um, I got so many comments from people who saw themselves, you know, in the words of the song and um and so it's it's just been an amazing experience
0: so you've detailed your music career or your uh dairy career and you know how that song kind of was a catalyst for you but kind of backtracking a little bit uh musically when did you start playing guitar like how did you get into uh into this country uh this country mindset with music
1: yeah sure well um This is an old cliche, but it's absolutely true. Uh, My mom bought me a Sears and Roebuck guitar when I was 10. And I didn't know how to play it, uh, but I made the bottom two strings. We didn't even know how to tune it until I got guitar lessons, but I made the bottom two strings sound good together. And the very first thing I did on that Sears guitar was write a song when I was 10 years old. And so then I wrote songs... You know, learned to play the guitar, and got better guitars over time. and um, Played in a band when I was in high school, but that was a rock and roll band, and I just always gravitated more towards country music. You know, my biggest heroes and the music I listened to wasn't necessarily rock, which was what all my friends were listening to. You know, I loved Willie Nelson, I loved Waylon Jennings, um, I loved the songwriting of Chris Christopherson my dad was a huge Johnny Cash fan so growing up in the house I think I heard every Johnny Cash song that ever was um and so I just naturally then as a songwriter gravitated more towards the storytelling type of songs that you find in country music that that was just a natural fit for me so that's how um that's how that came about
0: so when did you uh, arrive in Nashville, and what was your experience like when you were down there as someone that's not you know in the music industry or will ever experience that kind of thing uh, <laughs> What is it like getting there and just trying to you know for lack of a better term just make it
1: Yeah, well, you know lots and lots of people do that, um especially then that was the late eighties you know you at ha- those days there was no internet there was no online presence if you wanted to make it in music and you wanted to play country music you pretty much had to pack your bags and go to Nashville so what that was like was just arriving there um, I was 20 or 21 maybe I was 21 when I first went to Nashville that is arriving there uh, getting the lay of the land trying to figure out what the heck you're supposed to do and as a songwriter um, what you did you still do this to a uh, an extent these days but what you did almost exclusively then was try to get your songs to an established publisher a music publisher of which there are you know dozens upon dozens in Nashville and um so the whole thing is to try to make demos and get meetings with song publishers to um to have them publish your song and hopefully have that song then make it onto an album by a you know, successful recording artist. And in those days, kids today, you know, they would have no not even any concept of this, but we would make our demos on a little cassette recorder, so you would have a cassette, and then um, what the publishers wanted was one song on each cassette, and they would usually allow you, if you managed to get a meeting, they would usually allow you to pitch them three songs. So you would physically go to their physical office, sit down in a chair across from their big desk, and you would say, uh, here's my song. And you would hand them to the cassette, or you would hand them a cassette. He would; They usually had a big bookcase and a big stereo set up behind them, and they would stick the cassette into the stereo and hit play. And you were lucky if they got past 15 seconds of your song. Most of the time... They would hear the melody, hear a few words, click stop, and hand it back to you, and say, "What else you got?" And then you give them your next one, and and usually um, it would, you know, it would end in just them saying, "Well, I didn't hear anything, but you know, you're you got some talent, so please bring me some more stuff, whatever." And, and that was the whole racket was just trying to continually get in. But the other part of it which i feel so very incredibly blessed to have been in nashville at that time the other part of it is to learn to write a good song i mean anybody can write you know i love my girlfriend and she loves me you know something like that whatever but to write a good song and a song that that is commercial enough for that publisher to want to take a chance on you and take a chance on that song So I spent a lot of time in those early years of Nashville going to songwriter workshops, uh, learning from anybody I could, writing with other writers who were better than me or more advanced than me, and um, really learning the craft of songwriting. And I think that's what a lot of young people miss out on today because now they can just sit in their bedroom, make a dang near professional sounding recording with their computer, and they've never had to put themselves up against that commercial standard to say, "Okay, I got to knock on this guy's door, I got to get a meeting, and I got to sit at that desk and try to play something that impresses him." So yeah, so that it it was a neat time to be in Nashville and um, country music in the late '80s and early '90s was having an incredible resurgence you know, Garth Brooks would come along a few years later. And all those big artists from the 90s just kind of blew the roof off of things. Um, So it was a really neat time to be in Nashville.
0: It's got to be kind of disheartening at times, too, just to be resilient enough to be able to take that. (laughs) Like, what were your experiences with that? Did you have any, like, big projects that you were able to work on or anything in particular that you're, like, particularly, I guess, fond of or you look back on that you were a part of?
1: Well, um Yes, I mean, part of that is yeah, it it was an it's like it's almost like being a salesman who you have to thicken your skin to keep going into those meetings and keep being constantly rejected until you have a breakthrough. And, And my breakthroughs were that eventually, um, I did get a lot of songs published, I did get songs on albums. Um, I never had the big breakthrough to where, you know, you get on an album that's a huge seller or, or it's released as a single. You know, I never did have that happen. And the other thing that your um, your folks might appreciate is I am of Pennsylvania Dutch heritage. And we finally figured this out late in my life, My that I could never handle just being a songwriter who was constantly being rejected. The Pennsylvania Dutch side of me had to do something like had to do something real. Um, so sit, sitting around and writing songs all day, that Pennsylvania Dutch side of me was always like, uh, no, 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 no. You got to do something while I was in Nashville completely by haphazard circumstances. Um, I got into, and this is totally off the subject, but I got into uh, renovating houses and, and and getting into that part of life, which then took away a lot from my songwriting. But um, overall in the music thing, you know, getting the song, you know, there are people who spend decades in Nashville and never have any viable commercial success. You know, at least in my case, i made a little money i was able to have these songs um published and have songs on other albums uh, by other artists and i guess that's you know that's as far as that part of my career went for me what were some of those songs looking back um well right here this is my biggest claim to fame because this girl is big in the uk okay Uh, edwina hayes she recorded one of my songs she's more it's called i'll leave the light on for you if you if you google her which it's still shocking to me because she's in the uk she was in nashville which is how i met her but anyway she plays these huge festivals and to this day uh i'll leave the light on for you is still one of her biggest songs and there she'll be we actually co-wrote the song together there she'll be singing our song in front of like forty thousand people i'll be like Wow, that's really cool. Um, the other one, this is a project I did with this gal, um, Tony Lynn Fritz, and she and I wrote all, all the songs on this project. Um, she had a record deal. She's, she's vastly successful in the music business now as a songwriter, her and her husband together, but she never had, again, she was another one that never had the big breakout hit, you know, that, that really propelled her into a solo career. Um, I also produced twin brothers uh, Shane and Blaine Gaspard. Same thing. We wrote a bunch of songs. They got a record deal, um, put the record out, and, you know, it didn't happen. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I can tell you the flip side of that story, which unfortunately didn't happen for me, but early on, uh, probably 1988 or 89... Um, I had made some friends who were established songwriters and we were at a party and um, there's a tradition in Nashville called a guitar pool or a guitar guitar circle where you're sitting on chairs in a circle and you pass the guitar from one songwriter to another. And of course, you play your latest and greatest trying to impress, you know, the guys in the circle or anybody who's listening. And there was a guy in the circle um, who I really didn't know. And I thought, man, every time the guitar came to him, he had great songs. And after about the third time, the guitar came to him and he said, hey, I wanna play you guys something brand new. And um, he said, I think this song's pretty good. And and he played the huge Garth Brook hit, The Dance. And his name, the writer's name is Tony Arata. And he played that song for us. So I'm one of the first people to have ever heard The Dance. And then he ha- after he was done, I mean, we were just stunned, and he handed the guitar to the next guy, and that guy said, no, I can't follow that. <laughs> he handed the guitar to the next guy, and the next guy said, nah, I think we're done. <laughs> and somebody said, Tony, what are you doing with that song? And he said, well, I, I don't know. He said, my publisher just got it placed with some new artist. Uh, it's like uh, Garrett or Girth or Garth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so there we sat in that guitar circle uh and Tony Arada was about to become a very successful songwriter
0: <laughs> yeah it's really cool how those experiences come together and obviously things have kind of gone full, full circle for you to lead you now to recording your own album so yeah, yeah. what was what was that process like once you got the feedback from Empty Barn and just kind of decided like I'm gonna I'm gonna write this album yeah,
1: well, what happened was, um, after, you know, I told you the story of writing Empty Barn, I made a home studio, I set this little studio up, and I made a home studio version, just me and the guitar, and again, I put it on my farm's Facebook page, and it was kind of, and I actually titled that Facebook post, Coming Out, that I was coming out as a songwriter, and that I said, you know, um, most of you don't know that I, I used to write songs, and I wrote this song about letting go of the cows, put a download link on th- for the just the little demo version on that thing, on that post. And I thought maybe, I literally thought a handful of my friends and followers would want to download it just to see what one of my songs would sound like. And within a day, it had been downloaded over 300 times. And then the post started to get shared in other dairy farming circles and farming groups on... Um, Facebook primarily and within a week it had been downloaded over a thousand times and then until it was all said and done you know it was downloaded over two thousand times but that's when I started to see those comments you know people writing in you know telling me how much that song meant to them and that finally someone was you know putting into words what they were experiencing and um, you know it, it just touched me to the core but then also came all these comments of people saying, um, "Well, now you know what to do. You know, the door closed on your farming career; the door is opening on your music career." You know, I told you in that previous post, people were saying, "God has a plan for you." When one door closes, another one opens, and I was so blown away by that, and I just thought, "Well, okay, um, if that's you know, <laughs> if that's the sign." then I need to do it. So I had been, I say I hadn't written any songs because I didn't sit down with the guitar and formally write songs. But over the years, especially doing some monotonous farm job like mowing hay or plowing or something, I would kind of just make up songs in my head. And so I thought, yeah, I probably have three or four songs that I could put together in addition to Empty Barn. So I made a few calls to some old friends in Nashville in a studio where I used to record and, um, I said, I want to send you a couple demos and tell me if you think it's worth me pursuing this. And so I sent my friend, Paul Scolton, the owner of County Q, um, studios, Empty Barn and another one of the songs off of Farm Animal. And he wrote me back and said, when do you want to book the studio? So, uh, I took that as a sign to mean, uh, you know, things were going in the right direction. So we, um... The other neat thing about all that coming together is I hadn't set foot in a recording studio at that point in time in in literally 20 plus years. And um I hadn't talked to Paul in 20 plus years. And you know, we rekindled our friendship and um he's one of the best producers in Nashville and I said, you know, this song especially empty barn I hear this uh, incredible fiddle part in my head and I said so you and and it was Paul's job to line up all the studio musicians for me Um, so I said you've got to find me you know a great fiddle player okay no problem and I had worked a little bit with a gal named Tammy Rogers back in the day and she is you know a phenomenal fiddle player world-renowned fiddle player And I thought about her and I called Paul and I said, what are the chances of getting Tammy Rogers? And he said, he said, no way. He said, she's, she's in way too high a demand and, um, you know, you'll never get her. And even if you could get her, you can't afford her. (laughs) And, uh, I said, we'll try, tell her what the, you know, tell her what the, and I, you can hear my voice. I don't know why I always get emotional over this. (laughs) Anyway, I said, just try. And a couple days later, I got an email from Paul that said, you got Tammy. And I swear, you know, she certainly, her her contribution to Empty Barn is just, I don't know if you've heard the studio version, but you know, she makes the song. So, all right, I'll get, I'll be better here in a second. (laughs)
0: No, and it, it's obviously, I mean, you put so much work into both farming and music, but to have it come completely together and cross paths, I mean, there's always that country cliche that, you know, all the songs are about drinking beer, drinking whiskey, yeah. uh, your truck breaks down, your wife yeah, yeah, leaves you, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, here you're doing something that, you know, not many other people, if anybody else yeah. is doing, where you're, yeah. you're taking that farming heritage and mixing it with, Music and I think that gives you something that's really unique.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I like to say that my album "Farm Animal." I, I like to say this. I don't know if it's true or not, but I like to say <laughs> that it's the first album ever written, recorded, and produced by a farmer for farmers. Um, so that's a double-edged sword. We we talked earlier about needing to be able to write to that commercial standard if you want to have commercial success. Um, I wrote Farm Animal and the songs on Farm Animal purely for myself or, f- you know, for my future fans, fans who were fans of Empty Barn and whatnot, um, without being worried about thinking, is anyone else going to record these songs or not? I did, of course, you know, I like to think of myself as a pretty decent songwriter. So I, I of course, always write songs you know from a professional point of view um, but the double-edged sword of it is even though everyone in the industry uh, which I've tried to pitch I have pitched farm animal to record a couple of record labels and a couple of management companies and things like that and the double-edged sword of it is that they love the music they think it's a great album But they also think there aren't enough farmers. One guy actually said to me, there aren't enough farmers, hayseeds, and hillbillies left out there for us to do anything with this, you know. So it it came back to me to say, okay, I'm not giving up on this project. I'm going to do it myself. So um, over the winter, I did do a Kickstarter campaign um, to to, uh, help fund the promotion and marketing of the album, which really hasn't kicked into gear yet. We are selling the album. The album has not been officially released yet um, because here again, I, I keep getting so close to having professional management to help me release and everything. And we're st- I'm still working on a deal, um, but by and large, you know, I'm doing it myself. So I'm getting the publicity I'm the one calling you, saying, "Hey, will you do a story on me?" Actually, you sought me out this time, but, you know, <laughs> but usually you would have a publicist doing all that. You know, so sure. I sit in this room eight, nine, ten hours a day. Um, you know, just trying to move my music and farm animal and my career as an artist forward.
0: So, where do you kind of want this? Like, where do you want this to go? What is your your goal going forward with? This album and maybe musically from here.
1: Yeah. Well, my goal, uh, my my larger goal, is to bring this farm-related music to the public. Yes, of course, to farmers. It's all about farming and farmers. But to bring it to a wider audience, to be able to say, "Look, you know, we have this going on with dairy farmers." But the album, which I have to say, also. Empty Barn is actually the only ballad, and it's the only sad song on the album. All the other ones are barn burners, and and we turned Tammy loose on a... Tammy agreed to play on the whole record, so, um, you know, we we turned Tammy loose, and her husband is one of the most phenomenal lead guitar players in Nashville, a guy named Jeff King. So they're the dynamic duo. He came along with Tammy, and... um, you know, we have a lot of really great barn burner songs on there. So big goal is to bring this music to the masses, not just to farmers. My personal goal is to be able to make a full-time living totally with my music. Um, I, I love to perform. I fancy myself something of a pretty good entertainer. So I, I love to perform. I love to do shows. Um... I so love having my own album and um you know the holy grail for me is to translate that into a sustainable um full time career.
0: We've kinda of hit on a lot of stuff here, but is there anything that I didn't ask you about or anything that you're thinking of that you know you'd like to like to share about uh this whole process or even where you can get the music too, that'd be a good um, thing to share.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding me or I would have totally forgot. <laughs> So the best way to find out about me and order the the CD and we also have t-shirts is to go to my website, which is www.jeffchoralmusic.com. And when you go to that, um, if you want to help us out with with putting the budget together for promoting the album, in the tabs, there's a tab called um, Help Launch Farm Animal. And there's all kinds of cool um, rewards and perks on there that you can get, um, you know, for helping us uh, basically get the money together to put the marketing and promotion budget together um, for the album. Um, I'm also pretty active uh, on YouTube. You can check out my YouTube channel, which if you just Google Jeff Coral or go on YouTube to find Jeff Coral or put in Empty Barn, Um, You'll come to my YouTube channel. Um, There's two other music videos on there, one for the title cut to the album, Farm Animal, and another really fun song we did called When I Sell the Farm, which is about not selling the farm. And I I assembled a cast out of my friends, and we we did a really fun video, so that's up there. Um, Look for more music to come out for me. We just spent all of last weekend um, working on a video for my next single. And um, that should be out uh, towards the middle or end of May. So folks can look for that. And also, one one other thing is, um, this idea of this song, Empty Barn, resonating with so many farmers, and kind of shedding a light on what farmers are going through. Completely by fluke, I've now been asked a couple times to speak on the subject of farmer mental health, or maybe I shouldn't say by fluke. People who know my story saw, hey, this guy could really you know, be beneficial to talking. So I've done that a couple times, and I would like to do more of it. So that is, I put together a thing that I call a keynote concert, So I will uh, speak on the subject... Well, I tell the story of what I went through, the mental anguish and pain that I experienced, and then how, you know, having something to turn to, which was in my case, my music, you know, kind of led to now a whole new... the door opening and a whole new life, and that no matter how far down you are, especially if you're a farmer going through having to sell your cows or exit the business... You know there most assuredly is a new door that has opened or will open for you you just have to find it so um I'd like your readers or your listeners to know that I'm very open to that if if anybody wants um, speaking as you know a speaking engagement from me and I'm actively looking for more performance opportunities also so anybody out there and we talked before we started the interview about my idea for um, the house concert or living room concert which is coming to someone's home and putting on a concert for their friends and families I want to do that on farms so I want to play in your barns in your field on a hay wagon um, if you're a f- ag related business you know if you sell milk I want to play in your on farm store whatever so anybody out there reading or listening um, that might want to host a show like that you know please get in touch with me on that great
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Farm Focus, please subscribe. More episodes are on the way, and all of our past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Podbean at pfbcast.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.